Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of y'all don't know this. I've never shared it in a sermon before, but I have just a touch of the spiritual gift of foreknowledge. Means I know the future. I don't know all the futures. I don't know everything that will happen between now and that part of the future that I do know. I, but I do know one thing about the future, and I know it as deeply and as confidently as I know my own name. I know it, and I know it for sure about everything that is going to happen to you. And I wonder if you'd like to know how it all turns out. God wins. That's it. That's the future. That's what's going to happen. God's going to win. It's important to remember that because it is so easy to forget. It is easy to find ourselves saying, but what if a, a hurricane comes next month? And the answer to that is ultimately, of course, God's going to win. What if we never have this chance, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to, say, this concert ever again? Well, God's going to win. It's easy to say, oh, I don't worry about the future. I'm just trying to think long-term. Well, we already know the longest-term forecast in the world. We know the eternal forecast, and it says that there is a 100% chance that God's going to win. And we don't just know that God's going to win. We know what that victory looks like. Sometimes we call it heaven. Sometimes we call it the kingdom of God. Sometimes we call it eternal life. Sometimes we call it holy justice. But whatever we call it, it all boils down to the same thing. One day, God's going to get what God wants. And that's the inside joke that Jesus works into the Sermon on the Mount today when he asks us, so which one of you can add a single day to your life by worrying the surface answer is, of course, that none of us can do that. None of us can add a single day to our life by worrying. And in fact, it turns out that it usually works the opposite way. Back in 2015, the University of London and the University of Edinburgh both found that people who did not find a way to deal with even just the low-level stresses in their lives whether by exercise or medicine or meditation or prioritizing rest, those who did not find a way to manage the low-level stresses of life were 23% more likely to die in an accident and 25% more likely to die from heart disease, stroke, or heart failure. The surface answer to Jesus' question is that none of us can lengthen our lives by worrying. And in fact, we're more likely to shorten them. But the deeper answer is that God has already added an unlimited number of days to our lives. He has already secured for us a life so long that the only word we have for it is eternal. 
In God's kingdom, life is eternal. Life is permanent. The very best things in God's kingdom cannot be destroyed. That's what it looks like when God wins. But in our day-to-day, it is so easy for us to be tricked into believing that the worst things are more permanent than the best things. Our health can fail so much more quickly than we can build it up. A relationship that takes years to build can be lost with a single word or a single tragedy. Memories fade, never to be recovered. And some of us here live in old, old homes that have stood for generations. And that's how we know very well that nothing that is ever fixed is ever fixed forever. No repair is ever permanent, but the damage sure feels like it can be. Even when we make good things, permanent things out of brick and stone and concrete, even when we build them on a solid foundation, we of all people know that it could all be blown away. And what hurricanes don't claim, entropy will. It sure seems as though the good things can always be lost. But some lost things can never be brought back. That's how it seems. And that's what makes our worries about the future the most insidious worries of all. I mean, all month long, we have been talking about Jesus' most famous sermon. We'll continue through the end of the month talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And every time we read this sermon, we discover another way that Jesus understands the most crucial and essential worries of our lives, the things that cause us the most worry. Jesus understands our worries about fashion and finance and the future and family and even food. And out of all these worries, Our worries about the future are the ones we put right in the center, right in the middle of the month. Because in a way, aren't all of our worries actually just another way of worrying about the future? There is nothing that could happen today. Nothing that could happen right here and now that is so good that we wouldn't worry about losing it tomorrow. And it's that kind of worry that keeps us from being fully present. Even when we are right smack dab in the middle of the good old days. But when we view this moment and every moment through God's eternity, everything changes. Because we discover that it is actually the sorrows that are temporary. The old hymn tells us, that we may walk through many dangers, toils, and snares, but when we've been in God's presence for 10,000 years, all those fears will be no more than a rounding error in our ledger. And I'm saying all this to remind you that there are not enough tips and tricks and techniques and best practices or spiritual disciplines in the world to empty out your worry box. You have to fill it with truths. We've said for three weeks now that everybody has a worry box. And sometimes it's filled with a dozen tiny anxieties. Sometimes it is filled with one large existential threat. And we've said before that no one's worry box is ever empty. 
As soon as you kick one worry out, another comes to replace it. And that doesn't mean that all the things I mentioned before are useless. Rest and medication and mindfulness and exercise, these are all good things. They're very good things. In just a few moments, I'll share a few other good things that have made all the difference for me in dealing with worries about the future. But I also want you to know that all the tips and tricks and techniques and practices and disciplines I could possibly teach you are just tools. They are the scoops and the chisels and the crowbars and the mallets and the sandpaper you can use to make room in your worry box for the truth you need to put in there. The truth is that God's gonna win. If you want to be less afraid of the future, a good place to start is in getting over your fear of God. And if you want to know the future and get to know God, that was the advice that the author of Hebrews gave to the early church when he said, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you've never learned the nature of God's grace, if you've never felt the presence of his mercy and his desire to help you in your need, then it's no wonder if you are always worried that the other shoe is about to drop. And by the way, please don't hear me blaming you. If you don't know that kind of mercy, don't hear me saying it is your fault or your lack of faith. No, it might be that just no one has ever told you what God really wants. They've only ever told you about the kind of God they want. A God who's so controlling that he has no room for mercy. A God who's always waiting for us to slip up. But the one true God, the only one who can fill our worry box with grace, is patient. For the book of Second Peter says that to him, a thousand years are like a day, and he does not want anyone to perish. The God who's revealed in the Bible is not waiting for us to slip up. The God described in the Bible is waiting for us to give in, to give up, to accept the truth. That God wants us. And that nothing can stop God from getting what God wants. And in the end, God wins. If you want to get over your worries about the future, then you need to learn to live in the future right here and now. Learn what it means to live as if God wins. I've said before that seems to me that being a Christian and learning to live in the here and now, to live in God's kingdom right here on earth, is a lot like what it must have been like to be an American in 1776. It means choosing to live in a new kingdom. You'll remember back in 1776, King George was the ruler of Boston and Philadelphia and Charleston, and at the same time, there were folks saying that, no, 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 there's something new. It's called a Second Continental Congress. And that's who's really in charge. Imagine if you lived in the backwoods of South Carolina, where the king's supporters remain the strongest and the most common. Imagine that you are sending your money to Congress. Imagine that you are voting for your government. 
Meanwhile, your neighbors keep sending their taxes to the king and supporting the British forces. And meanwhile, those forces have taken Charleston and Camden. And your neighbors keep saying, this government you're voting for, it's not even real. It doesn't even work. But you know better. You know that someone new is in charge. And you refuse to live as you did before you heard about it. As it turns out, voting is a basic practice for living in democracy. Even when your neighbors aren't. And there are some basic practices for living as though you know the future. As if God really wins. These practices won't get rid of your worries. But they can create just enough space for God to fill it with something new. The first practice that we can experience to create room for God's truth in our lives is to take delight in what we already have, particularly in the bodies that we actually have. Present tense. There are lots of reasons that people take care of their bodies. I know folks who take care of their bodies because they want a new one. And they're trying to change the one they've got. I know folks who take care of their bodies because they're afraid of having a new old body. And both those motivations, they will get you results. But they'll also bring new worries. But if you can learn to care about and give thanks for and make full use of the body you actually have, you may very well end up changing that body. But spiritually, you will find a greater and more immediate result. You'll discover the truth that God cares about your body too. After all, do you remember what God has promised to do for your body in the future? He's promised to raise it from the dead. God cares about your body. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you spend just five minutes in silence, listening to the thousand little sounds that surround you, you are delighting in the ears God made. When you see a doctor to get a few chemical imbalances back in line, you are discovering that Jesus came to heal bodies as well as souls. When you move and stretch and exercise your strength in the world, you are discovering what Paul told the Corinthians, that your body is a temple. That is, it is a place where heaven and earth begin to overlap. One good way to remind yourself that God wins is to remind yourself what a stunning achievement God has already made in you. You'll have less room to worry about tomorrow when you squeezed all the goodness you can out of today. Second, you can pry open some room for truth by learning to pray immediately. In the present tense, I'll admit this is a practice that took me a long time to learn. But if you want to root out your fears of the future, learn to pray in the present. I don't just mean offer up whispered prayers to God. I mean pray with other people in the present. When someone asks you for your prayers, don't tell them I will pray for you one day. Pray with them then and there. Go ahead and do it. 
Pray for peace, for healing. Pray with joy and with gratitude. Pray for their needs and pray for their joys. I once pastored a church where several of our members were homeless. And I remember I ran into one of them, Susan, while I was buying some fried chicken up at the local Tom Thumb gas station. I asked how she was doing, and she told me, perfect. Can you imagine? I'll be honest, I'm not sure I have been doing perfect more than three or four times in my entire life. I've been doing well. I've been doing great. But doing perfect? I could have rattled off right then and there a dozen reasons that Susan was not doing perfectly. But some, by some supernatural grace, instead I said, well, praise God for that. And asked if we could pray. Say a quick prayer of thanks. And I tell you, it became a lot harder for me to worry about the future on that day. When I had prayed with Susan, who didn't even know for sure where she would be pitching her tent that night, but who was able to call her day perfect. Lately, I've taken to writing my prayers. Throughout the day, in a little notebook, I left it in my jacket. I was going to hold it up as proof. Whenever the old worries start to percolate up, I grab hold of that, and I write in it immediately a tangible reminder of my prayers. And as I go through the day, it's a tangible reminder that I have already prayed and placed the future in the hands of the God who wins. If you want to know what it means to live in the future, pray in the present. Pray immediately. And when delight and prayer are not enough to root out your worries for the future, my last bit of advice is this. Try to take your worries even further into the future. When you imagine the worst, don't stop there. Imagine what happens next. And then what happens next. And then what happens next. Keep going until there's nothing left for you to imagine except for the day that God wins. Imagine what you'll think about when today's worries no longer stand between you and God's face. Imagine what you'll laugh about on the day when every tear is wiped away. If you're an artist, try and draw the scene. If you're a feeler, imagine how you'll feel. If you're a wordsmith, write it down. If you're an analyst, make bullet points. What will be the future? After the future you fear, don't fight the worry. Take it all the way into the light of God's eternal victory and see what it looks like there. You know, there's an old line about technology that says the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. For Christians, it's more honest to say the future is already here. It's just unevenly remembered. We find it hard to remember that the kingdom of heaven is already at hand. 
We find it hard to remember that God has already made us the answer to those holy lines that we pray every week. And God's will is already being done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And if we fear the future, the future of our lives, the future of our nation, the future of our city or structures or institutions, or even the future of the church, we are forgetting that we already know how it turns out. God's going to win. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.